You are listening to The John DePietro Show on 99.9 FM and 1380 AM. News Talk WNRI. Good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. 106 uh, on this Friday, folks, and brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery. Now, it's a Friday in Lent. No meat today, So, but hey, they have you covered at the Lodge. Maybe it's some delicious fish and, fish and chips. Excuse me. Maybe it's whatever. Nice salad. Tune them out, whatever it's going to be. The Lodge Pub and Eatery. I bet you're hungry right now. And I've been posting. They have a terrific menu. I've been sharing the Lodge on the Facebook page, John DePietro Show. And you just see uh, what a diverse and tremendous menu that, that they have. So, folks, you're going to love it. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Without question, let me just check out, actually, as I, here we go. Uh, and it is delicious, as a matter of fact. What do we have posted? Oh, last night, fresh, ooh, fresh steamers tonight. Very fresh steamers. And they have a lot more. The li- And how about um, the Chef Spotlight, raw seafood at Kay's Restaurant as well. David did a uh, tremendous uh, display of... And, and without question, I mean, the food is just delicious. And especially the appetizer, raw bar, oysters, shrimp, little necks, oven roasted Mediterranean salmon. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. And then also you have um, Case, which is uh, an incredible institution. Both places are just dynamite. And, uh, and we thank them. Well, folks, good afternoon, 108. Now, I believe there's going to be a White House press briefing over. Um, I want to hear that. I've been playing. People have been asking me of the the sound from with what happened with the pullout in Afghanistan, which is, is just so terrible of the more we heard the details in the situation that our service people were put into and it was it was just terrific i do have some more sound on it and what the medic had to deal with and it it just doesn't i i think it also just comes into play of of the impossible situation we put our military people on the ground for what they had to deal with. <sighs> with that disastrous debacle on the Afghanistan withdrawal. And I think especially of just the the the, the mental aspect of what our service people went through in in trying to deal with all of that. Now, there was also a hearing about the whole gain of function research and Dr. Fauci. And I, I think he, there's a very good reason why he, in fact, has been coming under fire. So I want to play some of that. And then people have asked me about Sergeant Vargas Andrews the suicide bombing outside of Kabul. I, I just, I still just feel for the guy if you haven't heard it. And Congressman Cicilline wouldn't even give him his full attention. But I want to go to Capitol Hill, the question. And uh, the question being posed is from Congresswoman, Office of Nicole Malatakis, asking about this whole business with Dr. Fauci. And she's questioning the former CDC director, Dr. Robert Redfield. So I want to play some of that right now. Here we go. Thank you, Chairman. For two years, myself and the other Republicans on this subcommittee connected the dots. We exposed the evidence supporting our struggle. 
that died in every war since the American Revolution combined deserve to know the truth. Uh, Dr. Redfield, you pointed to the lab leak theory even before we did. In mid-January of 2020, you expressed concerns to Dr. Fauci, to uh, Jeremy Farrar of UK's Wellcome Trust, and to Dr. Tedros of World Health Organization that, quote, we had to take the lab leak hypothesis with extreme seriousness. And you urged Dr. Fauci to investigate both the lab and the natural hypotheses. Shortly thereafter, on February 1st, uh, Farrar convened a meeting of a group of 11 top scientists across five time zones and asked Dr. Fauci to join, and he wrote, quote, my preference is to keep this group really tight. Obviously, ask everyone to treat in total confidence, unquote. Dr. Redfield, you were excluded from this call, but up until then, you had been on every single, con you were included in every other conversation. What changed? Why do you think that you were excluded from these conversations? Thank you very much. I think uh, just to emphasize, uh, in, in, in early to mid-January, I did have multiple calls with Fauci, Farrar, and, and, and Tedros about how important I thought it was that science get engaged in, in aggressive, aggressively pursuing both hypotheses. I also expressed, as a clinical virologist, that I felt it was um, not scientifically plausible that this virus went from a bat to humans and became one of the most infectious viruses that we have for humans. Look at coronaviruses with, for SARS and MERS, for example. When they entered the human species, which they did via an intermediate, they never learned how to go human to human. Even to this day, they don't know how to go human to human. So you can't equate Ebola with a coronavirus. Now, why do you why do you think you were excluded from those calls? I, I, because it was I was told to me that uh, they wanted a single narrative, and that I obviously had a different point of view. Wow. Okay. In wow. emails following the conference call, Crazy. four of the eleven scientists told Fauci that they all found the genetic sequence inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. Basically, what you're saying. However, just three days later, these four scientists had drafted a paper arguing the exact opposite, and that's now the infamous proximal origin of SARS-CoV-2. Uh, two. Our investigations show that this paper was prompted by Dr. Fauci, among others, with a goal to disprove the lab leak theory. What is the likelihood that these scientists came across additional information just three days after making these statements to conclude with such certainty that COVID-19 came from nature instead of the lab leak that they thought it was three days earlier? Yeah, I think it's unfortunate. Again, I've said this before, that this whole approach that was taken on January, uh, February 1st and subsequently in the month of February, February, if you really want to be truthful, it's antithetical to science. Thank you. Science has debate, and they squashed any debate. Thank you. Given what we know now and looking at all the conversations in February of 2020 and before the release of the paper, do you think that uh, Dr. Fauci used this paper to hide the gain-of-function research created, that gain-of-function research created this virus? I can't talk about Fauci's motivation. Do you think that the paper does hide the truth? I think it's an inaccurate paper that basically was part of a narrative that they were creating. Remember, this pandemic did not start in January at the seafood market. We now know there was infections all the way back into September. This was a narrative that was decided that they were going to say this came from the wet market and they were going to do everything they could to support it to negate any discussion about the possibility that this came from a laboratory. I got 20 seconds left. Dr. Fauci was affirmatively told in, told in an email that uh, NIAID had a monetary relationship with the Wuhan uh, Institute through uh, EcoHealth Alliance. He, he was told this in January 27th of 2020. Do you think that Dr. Fauci intentionally lied under oath to Senator Paul when he vehemently denied NIH's funding of gain-of-function research? I think there's no doubt that NIH was funding gain-of-function research. Is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain-of-function research that created this virus? I think it did not only from NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from DOD. You know, folks, that is, um, again, good afternoon. Right now at 1.16, you're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. That is really frightening to think about. But I, I think it reaffirms what so many have said from the very beginning. And with some people, I get it. I get it that... Um, 
with some people, they just start to tune out when they hear anything about it. But there has to be accountability for how this thing um, carried out. I want to um, also, now yesterday, now yesterday, that was, uh, what you have going on right now in Pawtucket is really frightening. Because you have, by all accounts, do you know Pawtucket, right now it's 117 on this Friday. Pawtucket has had three shootings since last Saturday night. There was a shooting Saturday night, I was there, and we did live stream. There was a shooting in Pawtucket Tuesday, Tuesday night. And we were there. And then there was the shooting yesterday on the um, on ramp at the highway. Now, I have heard from people that right now in Pawtucket, you have a full-scale gang wars broken out between, they call themselves Bucket East and Bucket West. And I don't think that people fully understand how bad, remember in Rhode Island, they try to downplay the gang problem. Right? You'd see that in Providence where Mayor Alorza, they were saying, don't call them gangs. They're groups of individuals, but don't call them gangs. But three shootings in a week, you know what else is interesting? If you're a Pawtucket resident, I'm waiting for the first, there's, there's not been one police briefing, not one. I want to play, this is, uh, Channel 12 did a good job on this yesterday. This is their recap of this uh, dramatic Pawtucket shooting yesterday afternoon. 95 North. We know one man is being treated at the hospital for his injuries. The suspect still on the loose. 12 News reporter Amanda Pitts was on scene all afternoon. She joins us from State Police Barracks in Lincoln with the latest. Amanda? Well, Mike Shannon, this all played out in broad daylight. That victim had over a dozen bullet holes in his car. He pulled over and got out and asked people for help and a group of friends did just that. It's not something you see every day in Pawtucket, so it was a little scary. When Janet Towner and her friends took the Cottage Street exit off of 95 North in Pawtucket Thursday, they never imagined they'd drive straight into a crime scene. There was a gentleman running from car to car, but yeah, he was just begging for a ride to the hospital. Rhode Island State Police say that man was shot. Ware is still under investigation. He pulled over onto the grass next to the off-ramp and started screaming for help. All he said was, I've been shot, I've been shot. Can you please take me to the hospital? Towner said she hesitated, seeing what had just happened to him. We saw the car was all shot up, so we were afraid that the shooter was still around. The victim's black Mercedes was riddled with bullets, at least 14 bullet holes in the driver's side. You could tell it was a, a bullet hole, I guess that looked like, in the back. And he was bleeding from the mouth, so I don't really know. Some of that blood splattered on her SUV. She pulled over and her oh, friend called 911 God. as the victim continued to run from car to car. It was heart-wrenching because I really did want to get out. And 911 was telling us, if you have a cloth in the car, get out, put pressure on it. And we're like, we're afraid. We, we don't know. Like, we just missed the shooting and we don't know if they're still here with the gun. Counter said the victim then ran behind a home across the street from the off-ramp. Police eventually taping off that backyard and using a canine to comb the area. Crime scene investigators had the off-ramp shut down for hours, focused on an area further down the exit. The roadway reopened once Mercedes was towed away. That victim was taken to Rhode Island Hospital for his injuries. No word yet on his condition. State police say no arrests have yet been made. Live in Lincoln tonight, Amanda Pitts, 12 News. You know, this is also a situation where many times, folks, good afternoon at 120, where the individual does not cooperate. Um, You got to understand that They, they don't operate the way most people would. So they they don't cooperate with police. They that's part of the code. You don't talk to the police. You don't deal with the police. Um, that that's that's a big part of it. So uh, I, and I know in the past. Do you know there are there are people that show up at the hospital with gunshot wounds, they won't even give their name. They're in the hospital. They're being treated. They won't, and the doctors and nurses are trying to pull up medical information about, they they won't give anything. Now that individual, that car was shot up pretty bad. 
broad daylight. Talk about brazen. Not one briefing. I was just checking right now. I, I do have communication with the Pawtucket Police, and it's my understanding that Rhode Island State Police are running this investigation. So, but as many of you, or maybe you don't know, but I'm telling you, Rhode Island State Police, they don't give out a lot of information. Yesterday, there was a car stolen in the city of Providence. At the scene, the chief of police, Chief Perez, gave a quick update on the scene. I also want to point out, yesterday was a good day for Channel 12. It was. I give them credit. Sometimes people criticize the media. They were certainly out there. 13-year-old boy stealing a car. I think they were first there. Chief Perez gave an update on that at the scene. The other night when we were at a, a shooting, Major LePayton gave an update right there on the scene. Pawtucket Police. Three shootings in less than a week. Three, hat trick. One, brazen daylight ramp of a highway. 14 shots. All right, here's the um, Channel 12 story on the 13-year-old. Richard Fernandez tells us that the child is just 13 years old. The car was taken from River Avenue. Police later tracked the driver down and pulled the vehicle over on Atlas Street. Police tell 12 News the car has been returned to the owner and the child accused of taking it is being turned over to the Youth Services Bureau. So that is one of those things I've heard. And again, I've talked about no one's really talking about it. I've heard he was actually under the age of 13. And what really threw people off was the original report that went out said that a car was stolen and there was a child in the car. But those people that were right there on the highway, I mean, think how terrifying that is. Um, I see that these individuals also were interviewed by NBC10. Let me pull up. I want to hear that again. The guy was going car to car. Will you bring me to the hospital? As he's he's bleeding on them. Whew. I know, I know. You know, yesterday was a crazy afternoon. I was so. All right, let me just hear. This is the Channel Ten story on the shooting. Seen on a highway off ramp. Bullets in broad daylight and a car with bullet holes a shooting victim and apparently no arrests that's what rhode island state police are dealing with after a highway shooting in pawtucket nbc 10's katie benoit reports a man suffered serious injuries near the cottage street off-ramp and she is there now live hey there katie Hey, Barbara, this Cottage Street off-ramp was shut down for a couple of hours last night and then was reopened. Now, I spoke to a woman on the phone today who says she came face-to-face with that victim just a few seconds after the shooting happened. A black car riddled with bullet holes and a heavy police presence Thursday afternoon on the I-95 North Cottage Street off-ramp. Police say a male victim was shot and taken to the hospital with serious injuries. NBC10 spoke to a woman who says she encountered that victim just seconds after the shooting happened. So a gentleman in the middle of the ramp. Um, it looked like there was a car accident. But as we approached him, he came to my um, passenger side and was leading and was asking for a ride to the hospital. Um, he said he had been shot. Janet Towner says she didn't know if the shooter was still around. So she pulled over, called 911, and stayed in the car with her friends. I didn't want anybody to get hurt, you know, helping somebody. It's sad, actually. It was sad that, you know, you were afraid for your life and couldn't help somebody else. I didn't want anybody to get hurt, you know, helping somebody. It's sad, actually. It was sad that, you know, you were afraid. Downer says the victim looked to be in his teens and had a wound possibly to his shoulder. State police were spotted putting evidence markers Driving on the a highway, black Mercedes. but told us they couldn't confirm if this case was road rage or if the shooting happened on I-95. All right, so that is uh, from yesterday. And state police, and I understand, but they're, they're pretty tight lip on on these types of cases. They are not... They didn't offer any press briefing at the site. Um, state police, they're just not in the, in the habit of doing that. Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, Monday, is going to announce she's running for governor. I 
would think that that's who Governor McKee is with then. I would think that that's who Governor McKee is going to be backing. I cannot see. I mean, it's possible, maybe, that if the mayor of the mayor of East Providence supposedly is looking at it, Mayor Grabian of Pawtucket has said he's looking at it. Everyone else has been pretty quiet. It also seems to be so there's three big names, as I've talked about earlier. And again, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Speaker Joe Sicacci, who lives in Warwick, he would get the support of a lot because of the position that he holds. You have Helena folks who ran for governor, who ran a very good campaign for governor. She's still on the sidelines. I initially thought the mayor would sock it. Would uh, would be a strong contender, but it's been quiet. Maybe maybe she's not interested in that. Possible, but the key about Matos that I'm curious about is going to be what Governor McKee is going to do. Now I'm not. I don't think he's. I mean, if he's at the announcement, that's another, another thing. But he he has gotten elected. He certainly has his allies in the Blackstone Valley. And Governor McKee, does this mean that if Mayor Grabian runs, he would, what, stay out of the primary? Possible. Unless maybe they're not going to run. And then if that's the case, if this becomes Helena Folks against Lieutenant Governor Matos, then then that will be interesting to see if Governor McKee stays on the sidelines in the primary or if he gets involved in the primary. I'm looking at the Boston Globe, some of the headlines. Freshman at Brown wins 100000 in Jeopardy. High school reunion tournament. That is no small feat. Now, Dan McGowan also, let me just read these two stories the Boston Globe also has a story. White supremacist propaganda activity surged New England 2022. I'm willing to bet they do not mention the current controversy in Warwick at the Game Theater on Jefferson Boulevard. Nope. Nowhere is it mentioned. Hmm. Um, let me go to the Matos story. Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos into the race. She is contacting, for started contacting supporters, let them know she intends to run. Evan England, a spokesman for the campaign, confirmed it's going to be planned for Monday. So she was appointed lieutenant governor in November. If, if she runs and wins, Governor McKee gets to appoint a new lieutenant governor. If she runs and loses, she stays lieutenant governor. 49 years old. Served on the Providence City Council three times before becoming Lieutenant Governor, representing Oneville, Silver Lake. Still lives in Oneville, which is part of CD2. Candidates for Congress are required to live in the state, but they are not, they don't have to live in the district. So, right now, uh, three different individuals who would be possibly running, and none of them live in the district. Although, I would argue Helena Bonanno folks is more associated with it. Now, there's also an interesting piece. Good afternoon at 1.30. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Massachusetts, Dan McGowan is about to eat Rhode Island's lunch in sports betting. He writes, you could have legally wagered on Providence College basketball today in Massachusetts if the Friars hadn't lost to UConn yesterday in the Big East tournament. Later this morning, online sports betting goes live in mass just in time for March Madness. They're going to have a serious rival. They will be a serious rival to Rhode Island. Choice is the reason. In Rhode Island, there's only one game in town. Sportsbook RI app. State doesn't allow companies like DraftKings, FanDuel, Barstool to operate. Massachusetts is going to have six operators online beginning at 10. DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, WinBet, Barstool Sportsbook, and Caesars Sportsbook. 
And there were more on the way later this year. Companies are offering significant customer bonuses, something Rhode Island doesn't do. Good chance Massachusetts' arrival is going to threaten Rhode Island's revenue. Because Rhode Islanders enjoy placing wagers on sports are going to hesitate to drive to Seekonk to place wagers with the more notable operators. Between July and January, Sportsbook Rhode Island app accepting $206 million in wagers. Far more than the $126 million in bets placed at Twin River and Tiverton. In some states like New York, 99% of all sports betting revenue is from online operators. The vast majority of Massachusetts sport betting revenue is likely to come online as well. How will Rhode Island compete? IGT sports betting contract with the state ends in November, but it's unclear if state leaders are going to allow other companies to operate here. So that's a problem. They certainly depend on the revenue. You can't deny that, that they depend on the revenue. And, you know, no one is stepping forward. I think also... You know, the element of, and it seemingly comes down to a lot of younger guys that are watching. There's, there's no more of the, of, of the joy of rooting for your team and seeing your, seeing your team win and you're excited about it. Um, that it's it's all about seemingly it's then they're just betting on the line and and that's why you know fantasy well college football is huge pro football march madness is a huge money maker it's really really taken over and now i don't know how rhode island is going to compete with that now, I want to go back to that Afghanistan pullout and some of the testimony. The withdrawal was, was really hard to listen to. More than 500 days have passed since the Afghanistan abandonment. No one has been fired. Representative Brian Mast did an interview. I want to um, just play... Some of this. You saw these active duty troops this give heart-wrenching testimony, like Sergeant Tyler Vargas Andrews, U.S. Marine Corps soldier. He served in Afghanistan. He was saying Afghanis felt abandoned by this White House. This White House abandoned Americans behind terror lines. He testified that he, they actually saw Afghanis try to commit suicide right in front of them, live, rather, you know, in front of them, rather than endure more suffering under the Taliban. What, what was your reaction to that? I think you used the exact right word to describe my reaction and everybody else's. It wasn't the Afghanistan withdrawal, it was the Afghanistan abandonment. And it left so many service members, gold star families, people that just had friends that served just broken inside, questioning what did their service mean? Was it worth my time away from birthdays and bath time and sports and dinner with, with my kids? Those were the questions that you were left asking yourself. And for, for Sergeant Vargas Andrews, after he was blown up, lost two limbs, and, and we didn't get to this, but he believes that he saw the bomber through the, the scope of his sniper rifle. Yep. The U.S. government, not one entity in the U.S. government, asked him about if he could have eliminated that Abbey Gate bomber, what he saw for 10 days sitting in a watchtower. No entity of the U.S. government cared at all about what he saw and what he thought. They cared only at the time, so far as they could avoid, try to avoid a bad news cycle. President Biden didn't care enough when our service members were coming home to avoid even looking at his watch as those service members were, were, were taking that final flight back to the United States of America, those that were killed. And they absolutely do not care today to learn any lessons from what happened and to go back there and seek accountability from anybody that was to blame for that debacle, that, that black eye, that, that killing of 13 U.S. service members. When we see this White House behaving like this, when we see taxpayers basically paying for the Taliban's entire Defense Department and military air force, more than $7 billion in U.S. taxpayer-funded weapons munition left behind, we have to ask again and again, does this White House care? 
this White House again and again shows they have no national security objectives. They do not care. They did not care then. They do not care to remove people out of positions of power that have no place being in positions of power. And this is to the detriment of every single American. And as we saw in Afghanistan, it literally costs the lives of our of our nation's heroes. Wow. Well, I played it yesterday. I want to play again. This was Tyler Vargas, the U.S. Marine. He was a sniper. He had who he thought was the suicide bomber in his sights. And he couldn't get the go-ahead to shoot. Folks, right now at 1.37 on this Friday, this portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Limitless Outdoors. By the way, it looks like it's a pleasant Friday. I know there's rain moving in overnight. Look at that, 50 degrees today. Looks like it's going to be nice and dry tonight. Rain tonight, but late, right? Yeah, 11 o'clock. And then it, um, yeah, tomorrow's, well, until 11 o'clock, it's going to be a little bit of a rainy Saturday. But um, we will be doing a first one on the scene live stream later. This portion of the program, Limitless Outdoors, 50 degrees. Let's do a weather check. Depending on where you are, right around 50 more or less. Uh, and then this week, all the weather looks pretty enjoyable, possibly stormy a little bit during the week, but it's March. And then next Friday is St. Patrick's Day, next Saturday, 51. So folks, what about Limitless Outdoors? Call them today, 401-580-1852. Wherever you are on this Friday, and you're listening to the John DePietro Show, it's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can listen online at the website, petro.com. Call Chris. Free quote. Limitless Outdoors. 401-580-1852. 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors. Because it's limitless what they can do for you outside. Remember, their slogan is dream, build, enjoy. Limitless Outdoors. They specialize in patios, walkways, steps, outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installation, evacuation, limitless outdoors. They also have, um, they can update your indoor fireplace and kitchen. Maybe you'd like a fire pit. Maybe you'd like to have a full outside area. And I get it. You know, maybe I understand it's, it doesn't, maybe it's not feasible and you can't enjoy it in January and February, but what about April through November? Limitless Outdoors. Call today. Remember, Dream, Build, Enjoy, 401-580-1852. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show on this Friday brought to you by Ryan's Appliance Repair. Remember what we say, if your appliance is dying, just call Ryan. Do you have an appliance that maybe is not working properly? Call Ryan, 401 410-7096. 710-7096. Ryan's Appliance Repair. Repairs on all makes and models of appliances. Washing machine, dryer, refrigerator, stove, oven. Ryan's Appliance Repair. 401-710-7096. And they'll come out to you. Saturday appointments are available or work is guaranteed for 90 days. Parts and labor. Ryan's Appliance Repair. 401-710-7096. On the national front. It sure looks like Governor DeSantis is going to run for president. As a matter of fact, he is gearing up. DeSantis indicates privately he will run for president. This is an interesting headline. Will he ignore the media all the way to the White House? Set to collide with Trump in Iowa. I don't think you can. Leading Republicans taking aim at both. I don't think he can do that. I don't, I don't think so. He, he may say he knows. DeSantis loves the bash the press. Will that work in a presidential race? Hmm. But someone had sent me a message saying DeSantis is not running. He just wants to be Trump's VP. I, I don't know. That is not the case. First of all, it's in the Constitution, the two individuals from the same state can't run on a ticket. Both of them reside in Florida. Governor DeSantis 
is not running to be VP. If he wanted to be President Trump's VP, he wouldn't be running for president. He would be supporting President Trump and waiting in the wings. He's not doing that. Now, I, 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 don't, I don't know if he can beat President Trump in a primary. And I don't, maybe he can, but he's not running to be VP. That part is wrong. President Trump's already lining up who he thinks he may select. He really seems to genuinely like and respect Carrie Lake, who is, she unsuccessfully ran for governor of, uh, of Arizona. Other people have mentioned Nikki Haley. But again, there, Nikki Haley's running for president. Carrie Lake is not. I don't know if DeSantis, as I've said, you, you never know until you see the two, see any of them on a debate stage. If you go back to 2015, Jeb Bush was the favorite. President Trump didn't announce until June of 2015. And that changed everything. So we're, we're not even into mid-March yet. So we still have quite a ways to go. The first debate is supposed to be in August. So that will shake itself out. Do I think they can beat President Trump? I don't know. But one thing I do know is DeSantis is not running to be the vice president. No. He and his team feel they can do it. They could be wrong. They could be wrong. I see this headline as well. Uh, don't, don't be fooled why leading GOPers are taking aim at both Trump and DeSantis. When former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie took his turn on stage at a Republican Don't Conference in Austin, brought the crowd alive, rousing, extended denunciation of President Trump, demanding his party stop whispering about its unease. Christie went after Trump, falsely claiming the 2020 election was stolen. Uh, If we continue down this road, it's four more years of Joe Biden. What's even more revealing about Chris, this is Politico, Christie's half-hour remarks recording was less direct but unmistakable, certainly not whispered criticism. He, he leveled at DeSantis. Christie called DeSantis warning about a sliding in a proxy war with China, one of the most naive things I've ever heard in my life, saying America's already locked in such a conflict. So Christie, listen, I don't think Chris Christie's going to be elected president. That one I don't see. So, of course, he's maybe going to take shots at both. The Stop Trump campaign among Republicans elite is off to a quick start. Now, you have some people out there. John Bolton is one. They'll do an interview. South Carolina governor, uh, former governor, Nikki Haley. She's she, All she does when I've seen her interviews is she just keeps getting questioned about President Trump. So I, I don't think she makes the case in any way. And I also don't think Mike Pence makes the case. So I, I, if, if that is the field, if the field is Chris Christie, Mike Pence, former VP Pence, Nikki Haley, President Trump, Chris Christie, as I said, and DeSantis. Unless we're missing something, something still just comes down to those two. Now, who else is out there? I know Governor of New Hampshire, Chris, Chris Sununu. Is is kicking the tires on it, and as Donna Perry pointed out, you know his father has been tight with the Bushes for a long time, so that could be old Republican money. But what would be different would be if the field narrowed, because President Trump wins if it's a big field, because he automatically, I think, gets twenty five to thirty percent. I don't know enough about Governor DeSantis. He's a popular governor. He has certainly changed the state of Florida. But like I said, maybe he maybe he's Scott Walker. A lot of people thought Governor Walker was going to be the next president until he walked on a debate stage and then showed he was not ready to. Someone else said I, I would not rule out 
is the governor of Virginia, Governor Glenn Youngkin. And what I'm talking about, and I want to be really clear, because I know right now at 146, there's a number of Trump diehards out there. I get that. I understand that. Hey, I voted for him twice. I've met him. No one, as I've said, has been nicer, kinder to me than the Trump people who have even allowed me to ask him a question in the Roosevelt Room at the White House. So he's tough to bet against. But I don't think people should just think that that these other people aren't sensing an opportunity. It may not be an opportunity. But Governor Yunkin, he's he's got money. And I don't know. We'll know more. I mean, it's it's not even uh, mid-March yet. This will take shape as the next few months go on. And I think in the fall, we'll start to get a, a feel of who that person is going to be. Hey, next March at this time, there should be a clear decision on who that individual is going to be. All right, before we uh, wrap up on this Friday, I want... <laughs> I hope um, I want to play just um, he was uh, oh good God Hmm. boy it is never easy with DCYF and what they have to deal with but I can't say enough about Sergeant Vargas in testifying of what it was of what he went through and what he had to deal with um, I want to play it one more time this is Sergeant Tyler Vargas Andrews U.S. Marine Corps sniper denied permission to shoot the suicide bomber in Afghanistan killed 13 service members over 170 civilians and he was left permanently disabled on August 22nd, an improvised explosive device IED probe took place down the canal running along the perimeter of Ishkaya. This was ISIS or the Taliban performing an IED test run. We reported this to our chain of command. Days later, we received word to be on the lookout for two vehicle-borne IEDs, described as a gold or white Corolla and a green Mazda convertible. Around 2 a.m. on August 26th, Intel guys confirmed the suicide bomber in the vicinity of and nearing Abbey Gate. Described as clean-shaven, brown-dressed, black vest, and traveling with an older companion. I asked the Intel guys why he wasn't apprehended sooner since we had a full description. I was told the asset could not be compromised. Throughout the entirety of the day on August 26, 2021, we disseminated the suicide bomber information to ground forces at Abbey Gate. He was spotted somewhere from noon to 1 p.m. by myself, then Sergeant Charles Schilling, and another. The anomaly in the crowd, who was clean-shaven and fit the description exactly, traveling with an older gentleman. The individual was consistently and nervously looking up at our position through the crowd. The older of the two wore a black silky hijab that was covering his face most of the time. They both had obvious mannerisms that go along with who we believed him to be. They handed out small cards to the crowd periodically, and the older man sat calmly and seemingly coached the bomber. Over the communication oh, network, we passed there was a potential threat and an ID attack imminent. This was as serious as it could get. I requested engagement authority while my team leader was ready on the M110 semi-automatic cyber system. The response, leadership did not have the engagement authority for us. Do not engage. I requested for the battalion commander, Lieutenant Colonel Brad Whited, to come to the tower to see what we did. While we waited for him, psychological operations individuals came to our tower immediately and confirmed the suspect met the suicide bomber description. He eventually arrived and we showed him our evidence, the photos we had of the two men. We reassured him of the ease of fire on the suicide bomber. Pointedly, we asked him for engagement authority and permission. We asked him if we could shoot. Our battalion commander said, and I quote, I don't know, end quote. Myself and my team leader asked very harshly, well, who does? Because this is your responsibility, sir. He again replied, he did not know, but would find out. We received no update and never got our answer. Eventually, the individual disappeared. To this day, we believe he was a suicide bomber. We made everyone on the ground aware. Operations had briefly halted, but then started again. Plain and simple, we were ignored. Our expertise was disregarded. No one was held accountable for our safety. About 1730, Staff Sergeant Darren Hoover, friend and mentor. Came to get me from the tower to go help find an Afghan interpreter in the crowd. found the interpreter and his brother born with American passports. They told us five told us of five family members still in the canal. I stayed there waiting for the family members standing against a two-foot canal wall. Ten minutes passed. 
Then a flash <clears throat> and a massive wave of pressure. I'm thrown 12 feet onto the ground, but instantly knew what had happened. I opened my eyes to Marines dead or unconscious lying around me. immediately vanished in front of me and my body was catastrophically wounded with 100 to 150 ball bearings now in it <clears throat> almost immediately we started taking fire from the neighborhood and i saw how injured i was with my right arm completely shredded and unusable i saw my lower abdomen soaked in blood i crawled backwards seven feet roughly seven feet because i thought i was still in harm's way my body was overwhelmed from the trauma of the blast. My abdomen had been ripped open. Every inch of my exposed body, except for my face, took ball bearings and shrapnel. <clears throat> I tried to get up, but could not. Laying there for a few minutes, I started to lose consciousness. When I heard Chaz, my team leader, screaming my name as he ran to me, his voice, <clears throat> his voice calling to me kept me awake. me he dragged me to safety and immediately started triaging me tying wow. tourniquets on my limbs and doing anything he could to stop the bleeding and start plugging wounds with the help of the other marines wow i was awake through most of it screaming moaning and cursing please ask uh, <clears throat> i ask you to please ask me about getting shot at the tower in abbey gate and how no one wanted my report post blast even ncis and the fbi failed to interview me asked me to elaborate on my ordeal post blast and asked me about this one little girl and her family that i reunited our military members and veterans deserve our best because that is what we give to america the withdrawal <clears throat> The withdrawal was a catastrophe in my opinion and there was an inexcusable lack of accountability and negligence the 11 marines one sailor <clears throat> and one soldier that were murdered that day have not been answered for thank you for giving me this opportunity on august 22nd and April wow that was um <laughs> folks so emotional and i don't blame him for being as upset as he is we owe them <clears throat> there's been no accountability with the Biden administration. For those that are wondering, because I've been asked about this quite a bit, that was testimony from Wednesday on Capitol Hill about the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, which to me, no one has ever been fully held accountable. All right, now right now, I see that someone is posting some interesting items on his Facebook page. And let's see if we can get him on the phone on this Friday. He seems to have found the magic phrase, which is for informational post is for folks. Join us on the line right now. And he certainly seems to have uh, been posting a lot for informational purposes only is our friend John Francis at Competition Shooting Supplies. Good afternoon, John Francis. Hi, John. How are you? Boy, you have some beautiful items on Facebook. And it looks like that is the magic phrase. Post is for informational purposes only. And then everything can go. Correct. So uh, at the end of each post now, I simply ask every, if you have any questions, either call the shop when I'm open, uh, or send me an email, or just shoot me a private message. Um, But yet I still have people uh, making comments about cost uh, publicly, so I may be forced to shut off public commenting. Yeah. Um, Now, one thing I found that was... uh, uh, so Facebook went in and removed all my private message. They cleaned out my inbox. That is very odd. Very, very odd. It, but. it, it is. And, and so as, and as far as, so as far as I know, the, the, the federal courts have found that email, that you, that you, your, your private messages, your emails, for example, uh, you, uh, are all covered under the first amendment. Uh, under the Privacy Act, um, you, uh, and under the Fourth Amendment, you're securing your persons and papers. So uh, I don't think it was more than an hour or so before they reinstated it and then gave oh, me an apology. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, John Francis, let's talk about, though, this beautifully unfired Savage Arms model that you have. Yes, I still have that. Great. So that is, uh, so, well, actually, both of them. So the, the camo one, 
That is a Model 11 Predator, so it's a 223 caliber. That's a hunting rifle. So you could use that for shooting prairie dogs, uh, woodchucks, coyotes, uh, that that type of game. Uh, it's got a medium weight uh, barrel, so it's not the it's not the real lightweight style barrel, but it's not the super heavyweight one either. It's in between. Uh, it's got a really nice Nikon brand uh, scope on it. Um, that one is going for six ninety nine, and the other Savage rifle um, that is a six point five Creedmoor. Um, that is that is easily a one thousand yard type uh, target rifle. Um, both of these are brand new. Uh, the guy I got them from, I've known him for many, many years. He bought them, never got around to shooting them, so they're unfired, wow. literally new in the box. Um, and Savage no longer makes either one of these versions. Wow. So if somebody, if somebody out there has kind of got their eye on them, uh, I would not hesitate for too long uh, because I would not be able to replace them. Uh, the versions that they sell now are much more higher in price than what these are. Now, John Francis, what about the original Glock 17? Is that still available? I have two of those available that were allocated to me. Uh, so those those are an exact copy of the original style Model 17 that was first imported into the United States back in the uh, mid to late 1980s. Wow. So, yes, one of my distributors uh, did, a, did a commission to deal with Glock. To, uh, because I guess they got a lot of demand asking uh, about it. So Glock had to recreate the molds to form these frames, and they did so using the original patents that they had on file. Because so, the only molds they had back then were all destroyed. Folks, once they moved on to a newer generation. You can see this on his Facebook page. It's Competition Shooting Supplies. John Francis, what are your hours for today, and what are your hours for tomorrow? Today, I am here till 6 o'clock. Uh, tomorrow, 9 to 4. All right, folks, it's John Francis' competition. John Francis, great job. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, John. You too. All right, folks, right now, 158. I have to call Maria. It's my health, for crying out loud. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. On this Friday, again, I will be doing Facebook Live later. I'm glad that John Francis' Facebook page is back up and working. Um in, uh, on this uh, very nice and mild Friday, as a matter of fact, if you're on Menden Road. Folks, there she is on this Friday. We're going to say a quick hello to our friend Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Marie, the sun is out. We're about 10 days from spring, and you have some delightful merchandise in stock. Absolutely, we do. What do you, you know what, folks, pop in and see her just because we're a little late on time. Marie, what are your hours for today and what are your hours for tomorrow? Well, we'll be here till 5.30 today and from 9 to 4 tomorrow. We're going to talk much more next week and make it up to you. Marie, keep up the good work. We'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. Take care. All right, folks, that's John. It's uh, John DePito. This is Marie. Hey, listen, thank you to JR. Happy Friday, one and all. Enjoy your weekend. Look for me on the live stream, on the scene later. That's going to happen. We're back Monday at 11. Stay tuned for the 2 o'clock news. WNRI Winsocket. WNRI.